This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to the Part-Time Outdoors Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Part-Time Outdoors Podcast. We're your host, Matt Noss. And Nate Wright right here. I just wanted to uh, go ahead and say we got an exciting podcast today, but first I'd like to thank all of our support and everybody that's been reaching out to us and how excited they are for the podcast. Uh, me and Matt, we got a little jitters today, of, of course, being our first podcast and having our first guest on. Yeah, for sure. Um, definitely has a little bit of jitters, mostly because I don't want to bomb this too bad, but if we do screw it up, luckily the guest today is my friend and mentor, so he'll be easy on us. Your guest today is Nick Cooper. He is an avid outdoorsman. Um, he's kind of a jack of all trades. He played ball in college. He's a director at his job. Uh, he's a husband as well as a father to two twins. Nick's been going out west for over a decade with great success, and he's really got the process dialed in. So Nick's here today to kind of help share some pointers and maybe teach you something you'd never heard of before. So it should be a good episode, and I hope you guys learned something. Yeah, I would say you have your hands full if you got twins, that's for sure. It's definitely something I'm excited for because uh, I know he can touch base on the Onyx as far as the GPS side of things. That's something I would like to be more knowledgeable on as far as, uh, you know, taking going out there and going on the public land and kind of having your uh, ducks in a row before you step, on, step foot on the property. Yeah, for sure. We're actually waiting for him to call in right now. He texted me about two hours ago and said, uh, I'm in between two huge bucks right now in Ohio. I'm not going to hotspot, but in Ohio. And uh, he said he's about 20 minutes out from self-range. So we're just going to wait for his call, and then uh, we'll get it going. Right. He'll, tell, he'll tell us about these monster bucks he's seen. Can't wait. And now we should have Mr. Cooper on the line. Nick, are you there? I am here, sir, in the flesh. Good deal. We just thought you were trying to get out of the show saying you are between two bucks, but, but those pictures we see weren't lying. <laughs> well, I, I got no reason to lie to you, my friend. I was I was uh, shocked as you were to, to hear it, to be honest. I didn't even dream that um, they were going to be out midday feeding like that, and that just shows you I, they got to be bedding close, is my guess. Um, I know those two bucks. I've seen them before. They ran together all last year too. So, uh, I just didn't expect to see them at 3 PM. Yeah. That's surprising. <laughs> Is that the same buck that snooped you last year? Yeah. Yeah. He had an extra beam last year. Uh, he had a third beam coming out of the base and I mean, he was a good buck. Don't get me wrong, but he just, 
Um, <clears throat> he just didn't, you know, he just never gave me a shot. I never could find him until almost that what is like end of January, early February, right before season ended before I actually got on him again. And I, I did see him one time from the stand um, and I could have shot his little eight point buddy. I think I sent you that, that video before, but you can see what he was last year to this year. He blew up too. So uh, I was pretty happy with that. <clears throat> yeah. You definitely got us excited sitting in here right now. That's for sure. Yeah. I, um, it, it, it was not a real, uh, planned trip to be honest. And, uh, I just kind of had some time off for work and decided that, uh, I, I could run down real quick and check some cameras and it turned into being a, a legit, um, you know, exciting trip for just a, a quick down and back. So it's got me pumped up. Yeah, definitely made it worth your <laughs> while. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, Nick, go ahead and uh, tell us a little about yourself, um, how you got started in the outdoors, you know, what kind of like inspired you as far as like, you know, if you start out as a kid, um, I know Matt knows you a little bit more, but you know, I'd like to get to know you a little bit more as well. Sure. I, uh, been hunting my whole life and most, you know, kids in West Virginia for the most part, I'd say, um, you know, started out as a young kid, five years old. My dad started taking me in the woods and just kind of, uh, been at it ever since, um, about 36 years old now. So, uh, you know, at least been in the woods for over 30 years, but really, uh, really got into bow hunting, uh, archery hunting as a teenager. Um, and been in the field pretty much every year, except for the year I had to have shoulder surgery, uh, my freshman year of college and, uh, had to set out the archery season uh, for that. But pretty much every year other than that, I've been in the woods in some, some way or, or, uh, fashion um and i just feel like you know that was what kids that i grew up with did you know we all played outside in the woods and uh i like you know the outdoors my mom <clears throat> was always yelling at me you know to stay in or stay out quit running in and out so mm -hmm. I, I stayed out most of the time we all know so that uh yeah i i, I like the outdoors um yeah it, my used, dad, it used to be everyone they'd yell at us to come inside and now they're yelling at us to go outside. <laughs> so. Right, right, right. Uh, my dad was a good outdoorsman. You know, he, he taught me a lot about just, you know, learning the woods itself and, and definitely a lot about hunting. But I, I really, uh, in my older years, uh, I latched on to, to a buddy of mine that kind of took me under his wing and really, um, showed me the ways of what I would consider, uh, bow hunting and archery hunting at a, at another level. You know, I never knew about checking the winds, uh, looking at, you know, access, uh, looking at topo maps, aerial photos. I just never knew any of that world. And uh, about 12 years ago, uh, my buddy kind of took me under his wing and, and showed me, um, how to to kind of go at that upper level so really you know I've, i'm not good hunter by any means i enjoy it i love it um I, i've had some success uh, a lot of it's been dumb luck i've screwed up a lot i've learned a lot um but i do owe a lot of it to to a good friend of mine that that started taking me out west and and kind of showing me the ropes and then i've been able to bring what what i've learned from him back to west virginia and southeast ohio and, uh, you know, obviously our, our Western trips. So that's kind of, kind of how I started in, in the outdoor archery world and, and kind of Matt today, I guess. <laughs> that's right. The, uh, yeah, now I got you ring back into this, this part of it. Uh, so you were talking about your scouting and things like that. I know that that's one of your major keys to success. Um, I thought you were full of it at first back four or five years ago when I met you and then I started getting picture after picture of these massive bucks. And I was like, all right. And then out of nowhere, he, he tells me, Hey, go check out this place about a mile and a half from your house. So I go and check it out. I'm not going to tell you where it's at. And, uh, I got the biggest buck private or public that I've ever seen in West Virginia. And I, it was a 13 point, And I was like, all right, this guy's, this guy's real. This, this guy knows what he's doing. So, 
yeah. So Nick, if you want to just go ahead and talk about a little bit as far as like your scout cyber scouting, like you use on X, like what do you look for? How do you determine if a spot's a good spot, bad spot? And the big thing that you did touch on that I like is access. I think, you know, yeah. the, the path less traveled also works better in, in, in all of our favors. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, you know, West Virginia is so, um, we're so mountainous, you know, in, in our terrain. And, you know, I, I, looking at spots and when I pick a spot out and whether it's, you know, public around my house where I live in Pocahontas County, West Virginia, or, uh, you know, I hunt <clears throat> in Southeast Ohio or, or out West, I, I, you have to kind of break it down in different ways. And again, I'm no expert at this. I've learned by trial and error and boots on the ground is obviously the best option. Um, but it is nice to be able to kind of see something from the air and, um, you know, think that it's a good spot and then put boots on the ground and it actually is a good spot. And uh, even to be honest, you know, the job that, that Matt and I do in the flight world just looking at topography and, and while we're flying around uh, in the helicopter and just looking at the way that ridges work and funnels uh, coming down off of these ridges, you know, you, you kind of get a better understanding. And I, I had no idea about that in the, in the beginning. You know, I just I would just see, you know, a big chunk of land and I just start barreling into it. Um, but really... That's so true. I, I, me and me and Nate duck hunted a spot uh, last year, and we couldn't figure out how to get to around it. And then we flew, I flew it over it the other day, and I was sending him a picture, and I was like, "We got to go in from the back." Yep. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so I, I'll touch a little bit. I think it's easier to describe with some of the uh, the western states, you know, that territory because it, it's a little flatter. Once I kind of saw that and understood what I was looking for, then I was able to kind of bring it back to hill country and, and into West Virginia and Southeast Ohio. Um, but really, you know, out West, if you're, especially if you're a public land hunter, which I feel like that's the, that's the fad right now. I've never paid to hunt out West. Um, you know, we've always done the public land and they have what they call weehaws in a lot of those areas, walk-in hunting areas. Uh, specifically Kansas uh, is where we spend the bulk of our time, but uh, you, you know, you it's flat, right? And there's set, there's chunks of land anywhere from 40 acres all the way up to 3,000 acres. And what I'm looking for, or what you know, my buddy and I were always looking for, would be a chunk of land that you know, a lot of times your best land is on private, and that's okay. You, you, you know, you don't need to, um, to be on the best chunk of land. What you need to be is close to that chunk of land. And if you can get in between two great chunks of land, and when I say chunks, I mean timber out, out west. There's not a lot of timber out there. It's a lot of crop field. And so if there's big timber blocks on private and say two miles to the east, there's another chunk of timber, uh, that's on private but there's public in the middle of it, that's where you want to be. Now, they're not going to stay there. They're not, you know, you're not going to go in there and sneak up and catch them in the bed. And, you know, it's what all the guys are talking about. Right. You're, trying, buck to, bed you're trying to get them passing through, right? Literally trying to get them to pass through. And so I've, I've been able to do that a little bit better now that I can understand that concept um, in the big woods, you know, in the hill country. The only problem is, is the bedding – and, and things are just not as defined in hill country like West Virginia, for example. Those deer could really, really bed anywhere. And I think that's, you know, a lot of listeners or, you know, folks that, that hunt West Virginia can relate. You know, the, these deer literally can just choose anywhere on that mountain to bed and just have as much cover as they do anywhere else, where out west it, it seems to be they're kind of bottlenecked down uh, and concentrated in these areas. So, uh, it's not easy by any chance to, to kill out west, but it is easier to kind of determine um, your your kill spots, I guess, if you will. So, uh, but when I brought it back to West Virginia, the main thing I'm looking for is uh, depending on, I guess, the season uh, too. But my bread and butter for me is, you know, 
October and early November is when I feel like in West Virginia I'm going to have a best chance of catching a, a bruiser on his feet. Uh, I've never been really successful with the early season, um, you know, tactics and catching them, you know, in their early season patterns. I think the earliest I've killed a buck in West Virginia was the first weekend in October. And um, it was really early for me. Uh, I just typically don't have that kind of success. Um, but I've been able to, to key off of a lot of these ridges uh, in between what I thought was bedding areas. And, I, guys, I'll be honest, I'll go in there sometimes and think, like, oh, yeah, this looks like where they would bed, you know, upper third uh, of a mountaintop. And I'll say, yeah, it looks good. I, I can see some beds in there. Um, but it, it's really, it, it's just a crapshoot in the hill country. You're not totally sure that's where they're betting at. It's just your best guess and your highest statistics, you know, your probabilities, I guess, if you will. If you can catch those ridges in between where you think they're betting, they're going to continue to check those betting areas for does. And I just try to get in the middle of them. And sometimes you're off 50 or 60 yards and you'll catch sight of one. And you won't be able to, to get a shot at him, but you kind of get some more intel. And then I just stay mobile. Um, yeah. I don't really, I don't hang presets um, anymore. Uh, it's just not worth it. It's too much work. And Definitely. you got to guess. You got to guess. That's interesting you said that about October because all of October last year, I swore I, I was like, oh, October law, October law. I didn't see a single buck. And then. I guess all this new GPS data that they're, they're saying October law is not a real thing. So uh, maybe it's just me. <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, you got to be in the right area to see them, right? You know, you're not, they're not going to just run all over the place like right. they do, you know, late October, early November, pre-rut rut action. You know, they're, they're just stupid at that point. They're running everywhere, Yeah. but you, you got to be close. Yeah. And that's what kind of got me excited about today seeing those bucks i know it's early season um but i know that those guys for them to be out at 3:15 in the afternoon 3:30, whatever time it was like they got to be bedding close they're not traveling great distances and that's another thing that they're starting to see on this gps data that's coming out these bucks especially right now in the summertime they're not moving great distances so i i've got i kind of thought i knew where those bucks were were staying at um at least you know at the end of last season, I thought I had them narrowed down. They're right there now where I thought they would be. And just to see them, it confirms it and just gives you a little bit of like confidence booster. Um, but you just, you still got to be close, man, until the rut. And, and then, mm-hmm. then it's all bets are off. Yeah. I like how you, uh, broke it down as far as the layout using the, uh, West. You know what I mean? Cause it's a little bit more flatter and you can, it's more, uh, you can see detail, I guess, in compared yeah. to coming in here to West Virginia where everything's really tight, wooded you know, hill country, like you keep saying. And, you know, that way you can kind of learn the basics out there using the West and kind of bring it, break it down, you know, using it where like where we live in West Virginia and like you said, Southeast Ohio and so forth like that. So, right. you know, and that makes sense as far as like, you know, the beds you do it. I mean, beds are, I mean, I feel like it's tough in West Virginia to find that. And I've learned, you know, I started hunting out of state as well. I've been able to pick up more beds more out of state and not in the hill country as far as, uh, you know, West Virginia. Like I've hunted here my whole life as well. I do like how you can break down the cyber as far as, you know, starting with the basics. Yeah, it was a good breakdown for sure. Yeah, and you have for the access part of that too, you know, you can look at it and you know pretty, pretty quickly what your access should be. And when you're out in flat ground out west, it's easy to just walk a loop around, you know, and use the wind in your favor, use the terrain in your favor and come in, you know, from the side where you don't think the deer are and the winds in your face in West Virginia and the hill country. It's, you know what you need to do, but my goodness, is it hard because it's not flat. You know, you've got to climb two mountains to get across and over to the side. And it's just so easy to be lazy. And and even me, (laughs) even when I know what I should do, I, sometimes I just catch myself being lazy because it's like, my goodness, by the time you walk that far, you're sweating to death in this early season. You're trying to do everything right. And it's like you end up spending so much time getting there than you do hunting it, you know, that spot and just to not see anything and then turn right around it and go back out of there. And, and it, it wears on you mentally, mm-hmm. but you got to stick with it. And I feel like, uh, I learned really quickly on, like, I don't need to see deer 
every sit to to validate that I'm in the right spot. If I'm seeing the sun and I know, you know, I've got, you know, either like trail cam photos or I'm looking at scrapes and rub lines and things like that. If I know the sign is there, I, I'm pretty confident I'm in the right spot. And if I don't see a buck, you know, in there, a good buck for a couple of days, I, I'm not, you know, discouraged too much because I know that it, especially when you're hunting after mature bucks, you're, they're just not that predictable. And, and I'll be honest, I'm just not that good, you know? So, um, I, I know that it's easy to go out there and sit and not see anything and be like, well, this is like, you know, this stand sucks. I'm going to go move somewhere else. Um, and uh, so I, I don't rely on just visual sightings to confirm what I'm thinking. I, I just try to, you know, go on my instincts and my guts, what I've seen, what I've scouted, what I know, and I just kind of stick with it and go from there. And, and a lot of times you can just be successful, successful with just perseverance. You know, you're putting in the time, uh, and, and some people call that luck, you know, uh, I mean, I think that's probably something to it, but you know, if I go out one time versus 50 times, I feel like the odds are in my favor, mm-hmm. you know, eventually I'm going to cross paths with one of those big bucks. Yeah, but, definitely. And especially when you touch base on that, you know, you're just setting yourself up for a better opportunity when you're out there more and you know, everybody's, yeah. everybody's going to need luck, obviously. Um, but I want to go here and talk about, you know, you were talking about the time of the year that you go as far as October and, you know, trying to catch it maybe pre-rut and so forth. You know, when you're going in October, are you doing any pre-scouting as far as like boots on the ground, you know, earlier in the year? Or more of a, when you get there, kind of do a little bit of scouting before you get started and, you know, actually be in the tree and so forth like that. Yeah, so in West Virginia, absolutely, you know, I'm in Southeast Ohio where I hunt there. I'm boots on the ground. Um, I am I know what I'm getting into before I get into it because I'm close and I have that ability. I, I won't pound it really hard during uh, once season starts. I'll kind of back off once I've got a good idea of, of what's going on. I'll use my trail camera reconnaissance, things like that, to just kind of keep tabs on some things. But, um, you know, that's that's where I hunt hard in West Virginia and Southeast Ohio is mid-October to mid-November. And then um, just relying on that. When I go out west, though, uh, you know, and this is where my buddy has just been a, a, a really good – teacher of this uh we don't go out west we over the years we have started going out west later and later and later and later and uh, it's been a lot of reasons and i I try to quickly kind of go through that um we won't leave for kansas uh when we're going out west we won't even leave until about the 14th or 15th of november and most folks uh are going out there Last week of October, first week of November. If, if you've got 14 days to get in the woods, uh, if, like if that's your vacation, that's your 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 rutcation or whatever they're calling it, mm-hmm. most guys are doing last week October, first week of November. And there's nothing wrong with that, guys. Like I'm not dogging that whatsoever. But over the years, I, I I've showed off uh, some of this stuff. But I, I would take a camera out there and I would video because when I first went out west, I couldn't believe it. The the mount the buck to doe ratio is just stupid. I mean, I, I don't care what anybody says, and I know the numbers are down from what they used to be, and and we can talk about you know the heydays of the early two thousands and all that jazz. But like the the numbers are still okay to some extent. The the buck to doe ratio is wild. I would go out there my first year, like twelve years ago when we went out there, and I saw like fifteen bucks in a day. And, and it was like, and bucks. they were like big bucks too, or a lot of the ones they, you sent me. They weren't just like little dingers. There, I mean, they were decent sized bucks. They were okay, yeah. But I would tell it like it was funny because I mean, to me, they were all monsters. Let's get that out <laughs> yeah, of the way. Yeah. I, I was like, you know, awestruck um, because I'd go into West Virginia and hunt. That's you know, kind of all the experience I had at that time. And if I saw ten deer in a day, it was nine does and a spike. You know what I mean? Like that was typically what I was catching. We all know that. That's Uh, yep. Right. (laughs) If I went to Kansas and I saw ten deer, it would be nine bucks in a doe or eight bucks in in two does. Like it was that kind of numbers at that time. That's crazy. It was literally opposite. 
Right. And so, you know, they had so much competition, but I was going out there at what we considered the, the rut. Right. So we were going out there and we would see all these bucks. Well, looking back every year, I, I'm videoing these bucks, right? Just like a Sony handy cam, not mounted to a tree, not trying to like film and hunt just because the first year I went out there, I came back and told my dad and some of my hunting buddies and they were like, bull crap. Like you didn't see that many bucks. And, and like, so I was like, I have got to prove to these guys that this is the Mecca out here. Right. Yep. So I started videoing these bucks and I, you know, basically what that did for us was to help, uh, keep that, like, um, you know, we were, we were able to go back and look at the dates and go, wow, you know, you like, we started seeing the bigger bucks towards the end of our hunt. We would leave like, the first week of November, like let's say November 4th, I think the 6th was kind of where we were at. And we were coming back by like the 14th, the 18th, somewhere in that range. And it seemed like every trip out West, the last three days of the hunt were our best three days. That's when the big, big boys were on their feet. And then we started talking to some locals and they'd be like, man, we don't even pick up our bows till Thanksgiving. And I'm like, holy cow, like why, you know? And we start going back, and I, I mean, I, we've got the data, our own data that proves it, that video after video after video uh, of these big jokers just going through and what it ends up being, you know, the best that we can tell. Again, we ain't pros. We're, we're not deer biologists, and we're just going by what we think. Um, we started just trying to, to piece it all together, and what we felt like was the younger immature bucks were the ones that were rut crazed and just running around like crazy. And you'd see them all the time. Mm -hmm. Your big boys were locking them down and we'd get there and they'd be locked down in a lot of that. And, you know, they talk about the lockdown phase and all that jazz. But by the end of the second week of November, we just felt like all the does, the majority of the does must have been bred in that area. And so that big buck that's looking for those last, last does really got to get on their feet. And they really got to start moving. And we, I mean, we just had the evidence with the videos that me, me and my buddy were taking. And, and it took us about six years, to be honest, to kind of put all this together. We're slow learners. Uh, and, and we started figuring out, like, dude, let's go later. The other benefit going later was there was less people. Yeah. So, you know, there was less competition. I, I would have been hesitant to tell you guys this probably six, seven years ago because we felt like we were on to something. You know, we didn't want the, the word to get out and everybody start going later. But honestly, I've heard it on a lot of podcasts here recently, too. And it's no secret anymore. I think it's well documented. The juries, the guys like that are just really putting out a lot of data and info. And, and they're just proving that these big, big mature bucks are, are cruising later in the year looking for those last. They're just covering more ground. If I had private land out there where I knew where I could scout early and, and find their bedding areas and get in close and, and check out those doe bedding areas and stuff like that, I would hunt earlier for sure. But you're banking out west on just being in that travel corridor. And mm -hmm. what better time for a big buck to get on that travel corridor is when he's looking for those last few does. So that's kind of like... Especially being in the right place later at the right time, way. you know. Especially when they're when they're pushing, you know, it's kind of kind of like being in the right place at the right time. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and it's it's, um, and it's kind of worked for us too as travel hunters because we could hunt our core spots here at home during what we considered our highest odds of seeing bucks run around here. Um, I can't confirm that the bigger bucks are moving later here in West Virginia because I'll be honest, for the last ten or twelve years when I've really could have paid attention to that i've been out west so I, i've looked at my trail cameras historically and and seen uh that i've got some big bucks on camera you know from the 12th and 14th and on um and, and uh, you know it looks to be that, that case but you know um i just don't hunt the hill country in southeast ohio and west virginia in that later november part just for that reason because we just go out west so yeah. Yeah. so something i want to touch on uh you were kind of talking and i feel like this is one of the big things too i mean i know it gets to me especially when you're going out day after day i mean it's fatiguing and then you see that mountain and you don't want to climb it or you <laughs> you you want to walk two miles in and you're like well maybe i'll just settle for one mile so one of the things that actually nick told me about was uh to get a climber uh well i had a climber but it was like 30 pounds and then he told me about the lone wolf so I switched to that. I really liked it. 
Um, so Nick, are you staying with that or because my buddy Nate here loves the saddle? That seems to be yeah. one of the one of the next big things. Are you going with the saddle or are you are you staying with your lone wolf? Well, I've got a saddle. Uh, and oh, you I've do got, have one. Yeah, I do. I feel like um, so it depends on where I'm at um, and like the terrain and area that I'm in. So out west, a hand climber is not going to work. The trees. There's no straight trees out west, at least in the areas I've been in. So if you took a, a climber out there and you only tried to get in trees that you could get in with that, you're going to do where the deer Unfortunately, sometimes when you're out scouting, you lose service, which is what happened to Nick right here. Uh, we've all been there, so we will call Nick back and pick back up with the conversation. So still on that same topic with the with the, kind of the fatigue and things like that. I know one of the things that another thing you told me about, I'm, I didn't really realize how much stuff you kind of calmed me into buying, but uh, the Rambo bike, are you, are you sticking with that for when you go out West? I know it's made my life easier, but some places like Pennsylvania, they had some legislation and they ended up uh, decided to continue to ban them. Um, I think a lot of places in West Virginia, you can use it. And it sounds like a lot of places out West, you can use it. Are you planning on staying faithful to Rambo? No, uh, well, I don't, I like it. I love it. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but out West, honestly, it's so flat. It doesn't, it just doesn't matter. Um, it, it's to walk a mile or to ride. It, it really doesn't, doesn't affect you that much. You won't even really break a sweat when it's flat ground. When you're used to the mountains and you go out West, it's heaven. It's so easy to, to walk and, and be able to slip into your spot. Um, so I, I don't take it out west just because it's just a hassle to, to pack it that far, and it, it it would be a little faster, I guess. Yeah, I'll give them that, and I, I see guys out there with them, but for me, uh, it's not a big thing. And then what about uh, hauling just, the deer out? Or is that something like are you cutting up the deer then, and you packing it out, or you just dragging so the done, whole thing back with a buddy? Yeah, so we don't drag, that's for sure. The deer out west are like donkeys, man. You can't, they're huge, uh, body-wise. Uh, so we're not, we're not dragging them like we would down the hills of West Virginia. But we, um, I'll bring a, a cart, a deer cart, and my buddy brings a sled. And it's like one of those, I've seen different types of sleds, but this is one like the ice fishing sled you put your gear in. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's two reasons for that. If you're going across a cut cornfield or a cut bean field that's out there and it's, it's any type of moisture, it is so sticky. Like you couldn't drive a vehicle in there if you wanted to, number one. Um, and so you dragging it, like just dragging the deer in general, it's, there's so much surface area on that that it makes it so hard to drag. So if we're going through cornfields, we'll use the cart because it's high enough to get over top of the cut corn stalks. And that gets us through that. And if it's through a bean field, then we will take the sled and it seems to slide a lot easier uh, across that. Um, my buddy killed one in Nebraska when we hunted public land in Nebraska. And he killed a horse about two miles back in there. And it was about 150 some inch, eight point, um, absolute brood of a deer. He sent the, two, the teeth off to get aged. It was like six and a half years old. Um, it was a monster. Anyway, we uh, we floated it down the river. So we gutted it and uh, got it to a stream and then just walked with it through the river uh, and floated right. it. You actually so we used, stuck it in the river and just floated it. Yeah, in, in the river and let the current do the work. And we kind of stayed on the bank with a rope and let it go because it was such a big deer and it was so thick. Um, and then he killed another buck in that same area a couple years later in Nebraska. And, uh, we actually quartered it in the field. It's my least favorite, <laughs> but, um, because it's just a two man operation. If you want to, I mean, you could do it by yourself. Don't get me wrong, yeah. but, it's, uh, it's it, fun until it, you shoot one. And then, <laughs> yeah, that's when the real work starts. So, and I feel like, uh, I can be a lot more particular when it's hanging and, you know, you're not doing it on the ground and, I've got a whole kit for that. Like we bring a tarp and we, you know, to, to try to keep the meat clean and this and that. So we try to do it right. Uh, it just takes a long time and you know, it's, it's, it's tough. So you got to be ready for everything. It's kind of like what I was saying about the tree stands. Like 
you can't take a climber out there and only expect to use a climber because most likely the trees aren't going to work. And same thing for in West Virginia. I like the saddle in certain instances where if I got to go really, really far and it's so lightweight, I like that option because it just, it's lighter on me. Um, it's comfortable. I don't know. I've never done an all day set in it yet, so I'm not sure how that would work. But when I got these evening hunts that I'm walking 1.8 miles back in the public in Pocahontas County, like not carrying a stand on my back is pretty sweet. Like I do appreciate that. So, uh, the jury's still out on the saddle thing. I, I got one last year to, to join the craze, but, um, I tell you what though, the, the, the hand climber from that, from Lone Wolf is, you know, not getting anything from any of those guys. <laughs> Nate, I just think Nate's rolling his eyes right now. Cause he know, yeah. I, I, I like the Lone Wolf and he's all about the saddle. I haven't, I haven't yeah. used the saddle yet. Before but. we get into the saddle, <laughs> I'll go ahead and touch base on why I'm going with the saddle. <laughs> so I did, we've been doing some public land hunting myself. I have a buddy as well that lives in Cincinnati. Um, and he's got like the perfect location cause he can hit Kentucky, Ohio and Indiana within a, like probably nice. two or three hour range. Um, and so we literally, I had a lone wolf custom as well last year and I looked like a Bigfoot walking through the woods with my platform <laughs> and sticks and everything on there. And like I said, we, I actually was pretty successful. We killed a nice deer and like you were talking about the fields, we had to drag, not drag. We had a cart through the CRP field and it was rough. And I like the yeah. idea of the sled cause we've, we've talked about that and we've talked about quartering the deer out as well. Um, but I'm excited to use the, the saddle this year. He's used the saddle for two years, and he finally talked me into it because when he had it three years ago, I was laughing at him. And now I'm like, <laughs> yeah. okay, I'm ready to you know break down my weight and not look like Bigfoot going through the woods. Um, yeah. It just doesn't look comfortable to me, but people swear by him. So I will try one. I will try one this year, and I will yeah, report it, back to you. <laughs> it, it's worth it. Uh, you got to get comfortable, so like practice with it beforehand because it is, does take a little bit to get it styled in. Very but once, once you get it right, um, and I, I made fun of those guys too. I called them diapers. Like I, I did all that, uh, <laughs> and uh, and uh, and I also made fun of the guys with the knee pads because I thought, my goodness, like come on, people, like this is going too far. But I'm telling you, it makes a world of difference if you put a pair of knee pads on and you're up against that tree until you hit your just, knee off the tree. Right. It, it's, it's, it's the best thing I've gotten since I've gotten that. I've got a little platform, um, that I carry with me as well. Everything straps to it. I've got some, uh, uh the hunting beast, uh, uh, sticks. So they're pretty light, like one point, you know, six pounds or something like that. So I've got a, a little platform, a couple sticks in my saddle. Um, and I can throw it on my, my back, uh, and take off. And it's, it's, you know, it's it's not that much weight and it doesn't stick out like you said you know like bigfoot walking through there it doesn't stick out at all it's the size of my backpack and that part of it i i do like and i feel like that can get me into some places that my climber wouldn't so that's why i kind of um kind of like that so i, I think if you're instead of like being diehard climber diehard lock on diehard ladder stand diehard climber like if you just try to adapt all of those things like you're just going to be better off just all the tools in the toolbox you know every situation and area may call for something better you know different to make it better so 100%. i try to stay open-minded with that yeah because there's always something new and something better that's coming out you know what i mean they're always trying yeah. to make something better for all of us and you know it's funny to think probably when you started hunting public land you probably never even thought about of a saddle hunting out of it and here we are yeah. Listen, yeah. man, when I was, and I'll, I'll say it in Morgantown, you know, when I was hunting Morgantown 20 years ago, uh, before, you know, the growth and all the buildings and, you know, things are there now, mm-hmm. we were jumping off the side of the interstate and we had tree gaffs that the linemen, you know, wore to go up the telephone poles and a little tiny lock on. And then we were killing deer like that. So, I mean, I'm too old for that now. I tried that not too long ago. I'm not nearly <laughs> athletic enough to do that anymore but i mean we've been trying to be you know a step ahead of the game for a long time uh and you know you just got to adapt as the as the new technology comes out i guess you know and use it use it to your advantage but it is easy to go down that rabbit hole of just buying eight million things Mm because there's always these gadgets so i catch myself trying to not not do that but it's tough um so circle back, I wanted to, you know, kind of touch base on like Pocahontas County, like, you know, as far as like the public land hunting, um, I've, I'm from West Virginia, you know, I've, I've always, 
you know, been interested in, you know, say going south and stuff like that, you know, we have some public land up here in our area, North Central, you know, just, you know, is that what you've kind of hunted your whole life, public land, you know, if you hunted private property, because I feel like that's when I was brought up, we had leased property and stuff like that. And then I started getting more in the public in the last few years. Yeah, my family has a farm in Gilmer County, West Virginia, so kind of central, north yeah. central a little bit. Um, and that's where I grew up hunting, and that's all I knew. You know, we hunted our 100 acres, and that's it. And uh, that's kind of how I started. But then I went to college, you know, went away, and, you know, I couldn't get back there of a weekend to hunt. So I just had to start finding public land. And it was kind of like, I, I don't know if this is accurate, to be honest, but I kind of felt like, um, public land was like frowned upon, mm -hmm. you know, and, and so like, I just never did it. I should have done it so much more. And I just always had this weird feeling about hunting public land at that age. And then I got to where I started figuring out like, man, there's a lot of good land around you. You don't have to drive two hours back to the family farm and hunt what deer may or may not be living on that farm, you know? Um, and be locked into just that. And that, and that's kind of how I, I started. That was just by kind of like laziness to some extent. Like I didn't want to drive two hours back to the farm when I got something out my back door, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and I will say West Virginia does do, I mean, I know guys dog them all the time, but there's a few places that there are wildlife management areas that are under, uh, management from the state. And so like one of them near me in Pocahontas County is, is, uh, you know, you can't kill a buck unless, uh, the squirrel flies, but it is, it does have to be outside its ears. So that prevents, you know, the, the spikes and the, and the, you know, the, the, what we call the West Virginia 11 points, uh, <laughs> to, to, from getting, you know, slammed all the time. And, and I'll be honest in that little area, I, I get some pretty, pretty solid bucks on camera. Um, I mean, they're hard mountain bucks to hunt. Like, you know, it doesn't, you know, mean that they're easy to kill, but at least they're there. Right. So, uh, now that public land is cool, uh, it's the, you know, <laughs> the hunting public and those guys have really made it like popular. Um, I see more folks out there. Like I thought I was the only person dumb enough to walk back 1.8 miles in this public land and like with no real good road system. And like, I've seen guys climbing a tree, like 200 yards from me before. And I'm like, dang, like, and I, I, I would normally would get pissed about that, but I'm like, dude, number one, it's public. And number two, like, good for you, man. Like, mm -hmm. you know, we're, we're all in this thing together. Like I, I'm hoping that he sees something and, and I hope he's hoping that I see something too. You know, I, I it's kind of like, uh, we're, we're banding together on this public piece, I, I think, uh, trying to use each other uh, for intel and things like that and help each other out. Uh, there's plenty of bucks back in there, and, and we're there's only a handful of us that still feel like that, that'll get away from the road. So uh, I, I don't feel too pressured back in there. But, yeah, the public's um, – during, the thing that, during that, archery that, season, gun season's a little bit different story though, right? <laughs> and that's true too. I, I don't typically gun hunt anymore and it's not really like I'm not anti-gun by any means. I'm just, the to me, and like I don't know what drugs are like to be honest, but like the, the, the thrill and the adrenaline of killing a buck that's within 20 yards, like I, I can't get enough of it. And so like seeing a buck at 200 yards and being able to shoot it, like I, it just doesn't do it for me to be honest. And so I'd rather go out there with a bow and, and get it done that way. It just feels so much more satisfying, satisfying to me. I know there's not a lot of people that feel that way and that's all cool. I'm not against guns by any means, but that's just my, my personal preference because of just the way it makes me feel. I mean, I can't talk after I shoot a big buck like that. I can't hardly stand up. I, I, I'm like, I'm a mess. Like if I had a camera on me, it'd be downright embarrassing. It, you know, um, it just makes but, me picture the, uh, the Luke Bryan, uh, meme that always comes out when he's, like, is he, yeah. down? is he down? You know, I mean, honestly, yeah. we put in so much time for that 15 to 30 second moment and it's great. Yeah. And I do it again yeah. over and over and over. Again. I'll tell you what, I got yeah. buck fever so bad. I mean, I see a spike come out and I'm shaking. I know I'm not going to shoot it and I'm still shaking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and that's uh, I've learned. You know, I <laughs> out west uh, is where I've you know I, I, your expectations have to be different. And if, if you take a 
if you take a trip, you know, if you're planning to go out west, um, you know, to the land of giants is what I always call it. You know, your Kansas, your Iowa, uh, those places like that. You've you got to get your expectations right because, you know, a 125-inch deer is an absolute trophy in West Virginia in my book any day of the week. And out there, it's just not. It's it, You can see a lot of those. And if that's what makes you happy and you get excited, whack it. Like, I'm all for it. Um, but once you start seeing, like, what was out there, or for me anyway, once I started seeing the quality and the caliber of mature bucks that are out there, you know, I'm, I'm passing deer that are 140 inches in Kansas that I would have, I, I couldn't have been able to pick my bow up because I'd be shaking so hard in West Virginia because I just know that that's a true giant in West Virginia for us, uh, at least in my experience in areas that I've been hunting. And so, like, you just got to get your expectations right. And uh, um, I, I've, you know, had some heartache in uh, out West. I, I hit a, you know, a booner uh, class buck and couldn't find him. And, and so, uh, I've had some buck fever, uh, and, and I, it's made me kind of change up my style of, uh, my sights. Uh, you know, I, whenever things happen so fast and I got so excited, I couldn't even remember when I was going back to replay the shot in my head, which pin, uh, sight. And, you know, that's a whole nother rabbit hole, probably for a whole nother day, but it's really helped me personally with my confidence because i know you know i've only got one pin to worry about um so you, you see yeah, one pin then now is that what you said yeah single single pin and you know I, i'm not out, even though it's out west and i could have shot opportunities out to 50 60 70 yards in some of these areas every big buck that i've seen like i've been able to get him within at least 35 yards uh, the big one I hit was at th- uh, 32 yards, and um, I just hit him just a touch low, and, and never could find him. Um, but the um, I just I'm just not a big long distance type hunter, I guess. So especially in West Virginia, so I felt like even if I didn't have time to move my pin, if I left it at 30 yards or you know whatever I felt like that trail crossing was then I would be able to adapt, but I'd only have one pin to worry about. And I wouldn't have to, you know, worry about, oh, is that 20, 30, or 40 pin? Which one did I put on there? I got so excited, I don't remember. I just felt like that was one less thing to, to worry about. So uh, it, it, it has helped me. I did that about five years ago, and uh, I've stuck with it ever since. And that's really helped me just personally with my own struggles, you know, with, with not being the greatest archer in the world. Um, because there is nothing more defeating than going out there hunting 13, 14 straight days in a row, getting your one opportunity that you come out there for, you just drove 17 hours and screwing it up, you know, like that it's defeating. It really hurts. So uh, I'm trying to do everything I can early on practice this and that to not, you know, screw up my, my shot. Cause these big mature bucks, you just, you don't know when you're going to see another one. You know what I mean? Right, like right. if you play all your cards, right, you might got one shot and that's it. And, and you got to make it count. So my buddy is just a stone cold killer. Like I wish I could hunt as good as he does. I mean, I, I missed a probably, you know, I think I've showed you the pictures, Matt. He, oh, yeah. My buddy killed him two days later, but I mean, <laughs> he was like 17 points. It wasn't even mine. And I felt inches. bad for you. Yep. Yeah. And I, I straight missed it at like, like 12 yards i mean it's embarrassing it was a chip shot but i was just so shook up i couldn't handle it and you know my buddy goes down there and just whacks it i mean just two miles away another whole another piece of public land two miles away two days later it's crazy how much they moved that time of year yeah it's nothing for a buck out west to travel miles and miles and miles in a day um and we confirm that all the time because we hunt and, you know, 80 acres sounds like a lot of acreage, but sometimes 80 acres can only ha- handle one hunter because there may only be six trees on it. Right, right. And, and that's another thing when you guys, like, I didn't really hit it hard, but when you're cyber scouting, if you're looking for trees and big blocks of timber on public, like, you're not going to find a lot of that out west. And if you do, there's going to be a lot of hunters on it. And I feel like that's what, what we've been able to be successful with, to get in those little pockets, just a handful of trees. 
that are in between these two feeding or bedding areas. And the good thing about that is if you see a buck, chances are he's coming through where you're at because that's the only place with cover. Not very often will you see a monster just straight, like casually stroll through an open bean field. You know what I mean? Like right. in the middle of that time of year, like they'll cut down into the river bottom or creek, you know, they call them draws and things like that. But the, for me, it's just like a little creek bottom. Uh, they'll cut down in those and use those as travel corridors and then pop back out, scent check a field, visually check a field, and then go back down into them. So. All right. Well, I appreciate all the information. Uh, we're going to hit you with some rapid fire questions here. Um, yeah. Don't try it. Just one, two word answers. Uh, we're just going to hit you with about five questions and, and see where you're at. And then uh, okay. we'll wrap things up here. Sure. Okay. So I'll go ahead and go with my first question here. So if you had to pick one day in the year um, and what time during the day and where would you hunt? Um, man, that's a tough one. I think historically, if you, if you look at your big buck pillars, you know, the guys that, that we've grown up with November 7th, I feel like it's historically the day that the most mature bucks have hit the ground uh, across the country. And so I'm a, I'm a statistics guy, gambler. I want the odds in my favor at all times. So, um, I think November 7th is, would be my day. Um, my personal best day, most successful day of hunting is November 12th. Um, and that's, I've killed, uh, three mature bucks on November 12th. It's my mom's birthday. And so that's how I remember those. Um, but November 7th, um, and I, at that time, I think I would like to be in Southeast Ohio, November 7th. Um, and I would. Uh, and I know this one is probably a little bit crazy too, but I think when I look back at all the mature bucks that I've, I've killed, uh, I've killed the majority of them mid afternoon, um, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense sometimes, but, um, like that 11 AM to 2 PM, uh, range is where I think November 7th, Southeast Ohio is where I'd be. Okay. I like that. Question two. You can choose one trail cam. It can be cellular. It cannot be cellular. What you going with? Oh, man. <laughs> Just one. Um, yeah. Rapid uh, fire. I, I'm a big fan of the covert uh, cellular camera right now. I've had it for a while. It's it's done well. Hmm. And I they have a 30-foot in. They, it, the reason, and you know, it's rapid fire, but the reason I like it is it has a 30-foot uh, antenna. That, oh, that you, you can attach 30 to foot? it, thirty foot. So it's not it's it's a wire, you know, with a with a, about a sixteen inch antenna. Wow. Um, but it in where I hunt in Southeast Ohio, I only have cell phone service on the top of the ridges, but that's not where I need to put the camera. So, so, you, so uh, you like climb up the tree thirty feet? Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Yeah, I will t- I will take my sticks and I'll climb up as high as I can get mount that antenna, run my cable down to the base of the tree, and I'll hook it to my camera, and I get great service. It helps my battery life. Um, I haven't seen that for any other brand. I'm not sure if anybody else makes that, but I, I can vouch for those guys. Good app on the phone, too. So It's yeah, funny I you like say those. that because I literally was just in Deanna trying to use a cell cam, and it was a covert <laughs> camera, and I couldn't get service. And I did yeah. not know about this antenna. So now yep. you're making me second guess by sending this camera back because I was pretty upset about it. I think Nate's got to yeah. drive back to Indiana. <laughs> <laughs> it's done. You know, it's yeah. I mean, and that's the thing though. If you don't have cell phone service there, you're probably not going to have it with any camera. So you know, I had a Moultrie at one point. It had no antenna at all, and I, that was worthless. I, I sent that back, or I just sold it. I think um, I have uh, tried the Bush now when they had it. It had no antenna, so it was worthless to me. And I just keep going back to that covert uh, because of that that antenna. So I got you. Um, all right. Uh, if you had to pick one bow that you've hunted in your with throughout your hunting career, which one would you pick? You're one of your favorite cool. bows. My favorite bows. Um, I had a Bowtech 
Destroyer 340 that I had for about 10 years, and I think I killed eight wall hangers with it. Uh, It's been my most successful bow. Uh, I just actually retired it, and I I moved over to a Hoyt uh, Venom 33 this year, but uh, it's it's consistently been a, a great bow for me. All right, last question. You already have two future hunters, uh, twins, for if anyone didn't catch that earlier. Uh, you plan yeah. on having any more future hunters? <laughs> we <laughs> had we figured dr- we'd hit you with a Had to drop the, the ball out. on you. Yeah. No, no. Two, two is good for me. And uh, my little girl, she's going to be a stone cold killer, man. I'm telling you right now, everybody's like, oh, you're going to take your son hunting. He's going to be a, a hunter with daddy and all this. And, uh, and like, yeah, he'll hunt. But my daughter, I can see it already, three years old. You know, she's almost three. Uh, she's going to be a stone-cold killer, man. She's legit. That's great. All right, and the last thing here I got for you. Um, mm-hmm. So I got a text message I'm going to read. Um, it was from you uh, about okay. a couple of days ago. It says, I can't even get a text from you that you released the podcast. Surely you don't hate me that bad. Uh, how do, do you have anything that you want to retract or say to me now? <laughs> I, I mean, I guilted you into uh, bringing me on, so I feel like, no, I, I stand by that. Um, no, I, I love what you guys are doing. I, I thought about it a lot. Um, I'll support you guys to the end because it's it's cool. Um, it's local for, you know, for our folks around this area. And I know you guys uh, will bring out some good content and, and get, you know, some some local feel for this. I, I listen to a lot of podcasts because I'm in the truck a lot. You know, I drive quite a bit for work and um, and they're good. And, and don't get me wrong. You know, they are great, but it's hard to relate to some of them. And uh, I listen to another podcast that's for the deep South, you know, and uh, they, they talk a lot about Alabama and Georgia. And I'm like, man, you know, that just. It doesn't work. Right. I, I can't yeah. relate to that. It's completely and different so, world. Yeah, and so for you guys to kind of be in our area, like I love it, you know. And mm-hmm. again, it's 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 not something there's a lot of. So I hope that it takes off, and uh, you guys have success with it because I I am literally like I want to learn something every day, and like I would love you know every guest you guys have on there. I hope I can take something from them because and put it to my tool chest, you know, yeah. my arsenal, and and that way I can just keep building upon these guys that know these big woods and you know hill country in West Virginia and, and surrounding Nate, states. Me and Nate said the same thing setting this up. We're like, you know, we're not we're not in this for money. We're not really in this uh, for for fame. We we literally just want to get cool guests and learn stuff and be yeah. better at what we do and provide for yeah. our listeners and you know yep. and let it go from there. Yep. Right, right, right. And that's that's why I talk about out west, I think, you know, a good bit because it's so scary, I think, for a lot of guys. Um, it's not normal. Like, I don't know a lot of people that take, take that trip, to be honest. Yeah. And I think it's it's a very doable trip. Uh, you know, we've never paid for a guide or outfitter. We've killed multiple big bucks out of there. Um, and, and it, you know, if we can do it, anybody can do it. And I just feel like if if someone would have told me this stuff, you know, even earlier on and kind of not told me what tree to go set in and what area of Kansas or Iowa to go to, but just in general, like what to look for and just made me think it was doable. I would have got in it so much earlier. And and I I don't know, I just feel like spreading that kind of knowledge is helpful because uh, you can kind of take that travel mentality to anywhere. You know, you, you said you were traveling some to hunt, too. So. You know, if it's Pennsylvania, Maryland, uh, Missouri, I, I've got four preference points for Iowa, so I'll be headed to Iowa probably next year. I'm super excited for that. Never been. I just know what quality they got there, and like I, I sometimes think about that fifth preference point, and I can't sleep at night. Like I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm legitimately that excited. So. That's oh, awesome. Well, we appreciate you coming on, Nick. Yeah, uh, Nick. It was nice meeting you, and uh, good luck this year. Yeah, I appreciate it, guys. Good luck uh, with the podcast. I'll be following you. And uh, if there's anything else I can do, uh, you know how to get a hold of me. Awesome. And again, that was Nick Cooper. Take care, Nick. Yeah, thanks, guys.
Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV. When you go out there and the fish are where you think they are, any one of these casts could be the bite. It's the most exciting fishing that I know right here at Hawks Cave. Oh, that's awesome. Experience the best saltwater fishing the world has to offer. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment.